Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Well, it's good to, to, to be here today. We're picking up again in our series um, on this, this statement of faith, what, what we're calling uh, the story of what we believe. Uh, last week, we focused our attention just on that little word, story, why we've, we've, we've put attention and, and, and devoted um, time to, to, to writing this in story form. Today, we're going to dive into what we've called the short version of that story. And if you got your booklet with you, you can find it on pages four and five. If not, that's okay. It's reprinted in the bulletin. So you can turn there. We're not going to get there for a bit. Before we, before we look at the short version of our story, what, what we've put together as a summary of our faith, I want to read first uh, another person's summary, the summary of a man named Paul. I want to do that by turning, uh, if you got your Bible, I'd invite you to turn there with me, by turning to Ephesians chapter 2. Now, we could turn to any number of passages. Paul has summarized the faith. He's found this useful enough to do in, in a number of passages. Romans 3, I think of 1 Corinthians 15, I think of Colossians 1, or, or, or again, in any number of other places. But I think for today, Ephesians chapter 2 is going to be perhaps the most helpful for what we're going to do. So I want to begin by reading again. Paul, in, in this letter to the Ephesians, his summary of the faith. I'm going to start in verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1, read all the way down to the end of verse 10. This is God's word, as much as it is Paul's. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we turn our attention today to focus on your story, your, your, your great work in human history, to your saving of humanity and the invitation that you've given to all to, to find life in your Son. I pray we would be those who do just that and go after life in none other. That we would no longer run after the false hope of finding life elsewhere. 
taking on ourselves the stories that, that cannot satisfy, but rather that we would find our satisfaction in being a part of your story and the story of Jesus, in whose name I pray. Well, before turning to the story as summarized by Paul or the story that, that we've We've worked hard to, to summarize in, in this story of what we believe. I want to actually consider for a moment another story. And the story I want to begin with is a story that has recently captivated our culture. And it's the story of a man by the name of Phineas. And I wonder how many have become familiar with this story uh, through... A recent, uh, a recent film about this man. I wonder how many have uh, become familiar with the story of the greatest showman. You see, Phineas um, was perhaps the most colorful character of the 1900s. He, at one point, releasing his autobiography, uh, became one of the most popular men in the world because his, his autobiography was second only to the New Testament in sales in the United States. And that's because of a, a, of a marketing genius move of his to remove the copyright. So where you flip open a book and it says, all rights reserved, his said, no rights reserved. And it was published everywhere. And this man named Phineas rose to fame in the entertainment industry as one of the founders of the Barnum and Bailey Traveling Circus, what was hailed as the greatest show on earth, because this was Phineas T. Barnum, the greatest showman. So I wonder how many have actually become familiar with this story recently. Anybody, anybody seen the film? It's, 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 again, it's captivated our culture. It's actually taken the world by storm, uh, mostly because of its soundtrack that's topped the charts in many countries. It's actually uh, become on iTunes the most downloaded album in over 70 countries. And in the UK, it, it's reached the number one spot for a record 11 weeks in a row, which has only ever been done in the last 30 years by one other album. And so you can tell just by the success of it that it's, it's hitting a nerve, that it's giving voice to something again in our culture. On this film, Barnum rises from the ashes of poverty on a bet that, that people will pay money to see the strange and the extraordinary who he calls unique, but everybody else just calls freaks. And it's these freaks that he goes searching for in one of the film's opening numbers, freaks like the Irish giant, or the dwarf that he renames Tom Thumb, or a bearded lady who happens to have a very good set of pipes. He goes looking for them, and I, I want to just—I want you to just listen. I want you to just listen to the lyrics of this opening number. 
And listen to how similar they sound to what we just read in Ephesians. Barnum sings in this film. You're just a dead man walking, thinking that's the only option. But you can shake awake and brighten up your darkest day. Come alive. To anyone, to anyone who's bursting with a dream, come alive. To anyone who's searching for a way to break free, come alive. When you know you can't go back again to the world that you were living in because you're dreaming with your eyes wide open, when the world becomes a fantasy and you're more than you could ever be because you're dreaming with your eyes wide open, come alive. This is the gospel according to the greatest showman. This is the good news. This is what's on offer in this story that's been adopted now the world over. And we're going to do something a little different today than we normally do because we're going to spend our time comparing the gospel of the greatest showman to God's gospel, to the one we just read in Ephesians, and to the one that the elders have tried to summarize in the the short version of the story of what we believe. And comparing them, these two Gospels, I think we're going to see first that they have a lot in common. But second, that between them, there is one glaring difference. So first, what does the greatest showman, the Gospel of the greatest showman, and the Gospel of God have in common? Well, to begin, both offer life. Did you catch it? I mean, that's what Paul says we have in Jesus. Because remember, according to Paul, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, but God made us alive together with Christ. But that's what Barnum's song was all about too, right? Come alive. So both are offers of life. But on top of life, these gospels are even more so offers of life for the outsider. In the story of Jesus, it's a life in which the outsider becomes an insider. Paul says that before Jesus, we were by nature, he says, children of wrath. That means that we were on the wrong side of God's love. We were on the outside of God's love. And though we didn't read this part, Paul makes the point even more explicit later in Ephesians 2 when he says, remember, that you were at that time separated from Christ. You were alienated, strangers, from the, the pact of God's promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So the gospel of God, in the gospel of God, this life offered in Jesus is where the outsider becomes an insider. And that's a marvelous thing. But it's not too different than Barnum's circus, is it? Because here, likewise, the dejected of society, the rejected of society, are offered a place on center stage. Because as Barnum sings in another song in this, in this movie, this is the greatest show, where the runaways are running the night, and it's everything you ever want. And it's everything you ever need. And it's here right in front of you 
because this is where you want to be. So both Gospels are about life, and both Gospels are for the outsider. But the offers being extended by both Barnum and Paul are even more than that, because they're not just for the freaks among us. I count myself one of them. They're not just for the freaks. They're offers of life also for those who think they're already on the inside. Isn't it? I mean, for Paul, you see this when he includes himself as one of the beneficiaries in Jesus. Because he was part of the religious elite who supposedly wouldn't have needed Jesus. And yet, he writes, God made us alive, made us alive together with Christ. Later, he says, for he is our peace who has broken down the dividing wall of hostility between us, the religious elites, and those who, who, who never made it into our circles, that he might make one new man in place of the two. You see, the gospel's also for those who think they don't need it. But Barnum sounds quite similar. If you watch the film, and it, it comes out when he's trying to coax a young socialite into joining his crew. And though this young guy's already in show business, Barnum's offering him something more. Now listen to what he says. He says, you run with me, and I can cut you free out of the drudgery and walls you keep in. So trade that typical for something colorful. And if it's crazy, live a little crazy. You can play it sensible, a king of conventional, or you can risk it all and see because I got what you need. You'd finally live a little, finally laugh a little. Just let me give you the freedom to dream and it'll wake you up and cure your aching. Take your walls and start them breaking. Now that's a deal that seems worth taking. But I guess I'll leave that up to you. So both for Paul and for Barnum, as he's depicted in this, this video, the gospels they towed are offered, uh, they're offers of life for outsider and insider alike. Because even the insiders aren't in like they think they are. But perhaps the most striking similarity of all is that both these Gospels are grounded in an individual. For Paul, it's in Jesus. And it seems to be his favorite part of the whole thing because that's why he repeats it over and over again at least a half dozen times in this one section. He says, we've been made alive, raised, and seated in Christ Jesus. That it's in order that God might show his grace and kindness in Christ Jesus. For we were created in Christ Jesus. But Barnum's gospel is also grounded in an individual. See, when Barnum says that this is the greatest show, that it's everything you ever want, it's everything you ever need, and it's here right in front of you, that, that this is where you want to be. He says it not just because this is where the runaways are running the show. But listen to what he says next. He says it's because in his own words, this is where the lost get found. 
Where? In the crown of the circus king. Isn't it interesting? How many similarities there are? I was absolutely struck by that, watching this, getting wrapped up in the story of P.T. Barnum, the circus man. And yet, with all that's common between them and all the similarities, in the end, you find that one isn't really a gospel at all. Because when you really press in on them, you ought to be struck by one glaring difference. That between the individuals that these gospels are grounded in, when it comes to the promises they make, one of them can deliver and the other one can't. You see, with all the fanfare, there's still a point in The Greatest Showman where Barnum turns out to be the greatest sham. For those of you who've seen it, you'll know what I'm talking about. Where all of his concern for the outsider turns out to have been just a disguised concern for himself. And sure, in the movie, he, he, he comes back around. But to what end? Even if we grant that the depiction in the movie was true, which it isn't, he's still dead. Go visit his tomb in Connecticut. It's there. He built the graveyard himself. So much for coming alive. And by the way, the real story of P.T. Barnum is actually much worse. Do you know how he got his start in show business? By purchasing a slave, a slave woman who at the time was 80 years old, and toting her around New York City as the, as the, as the feigned 161-year-old former nursemaid of George Washington. And he made a boatload in one year working here, 10 to 12 hours a day, drove her to her death, but that wasn't the end. Because then he sold tickets to her, her public autopsy at double the price he was charging when she was alive to prove that she was 161 years old, which the doctor disproved flatly. And yet he walked away with his money. And he was a huckster all the way to the end. That doesn't really make for a good story. So what do you do? You airbrush it out. Yet for Jesus, there wasn't anything to airbrush out. Because rather than exploit the outsider, whether it's in Ephesians 2, or Romans 3, or 1 Corinthians 15, or Colossians 1, or, or Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or anywhere else, rather than, rather than airbrush anything out, there was nothing to airbrush out because, because rather than exploit the outsider, he became the outsider. And he died to make a way for us to come back to the one we were made for. And then he defeated death. That the lost might be found in the crown of the real circus king.
But there's one more difference between these Gospels. You got to pick up on, and it's this. One of them suggests that outsiders are outsiders only because they've been rejected by insiders. But hear this, because this is vitally important. As much as any of us have felt like outsiders because of how we've been treated by those we thought were insiders, the real divide is not between them and us, but between us and God. And it all began when we rejected him. So far from deserve any of it, we didn't. And it really snuffs out all of, all of the Golden Globe winning song of this movie, that this is me. It means we can't really sing along when you get to that point in The Greatest Showman and the bearded woman starts belting out, we're marching on to the beat we drum, that we're not scared to be seen and we make no apologies because this is me. Hopefully, there's at least one apology in store to the God we walked away with from. And there's probably much more than that. And this is what we've tried to capture at least a taste of in the short version of the story of what we believe in order that it would be a story that we can hold up against all others and see God and see Jesus and see ourselves for who we are. That we were the ones who walked away from God. And God was the one who came running after us with all of his grace and has invited us to march to the beat he drums. You'll pick this up if you read through that, and I'm, I'm going to read through that short version with its emphasis on the Word of God, which we walked away from, and the Word of God, which Jesus saves us with. I'm going to read through this statement, and hopefully you pick up on some of that. But before I do, let me just say just a brief word. That's what this is for. That's why we wrote this and forefronted this short version at the beginning of this statement of faith because everywhere you look, someone's telling a story, someone's pitching a story, someone's shoveling a story. And life is really about the story you take on as your own and, and the story you decide to live by and the story that you decide to tell for yourself. That pretty much sums it up. Whether it's gonna be the story God's given us or are you going to try and write your own? This is me. And we want to be a people who, who doesn't hide from the stories of the world, but who are able to confront them, to discern what they're saying, where the commonalities are, and where they're not with the one true story. And this is part of our heritage, part of the Reformed heritage is, is this angle in what's called apologetics, giving an answer to the faith, an answer for the faith, uh, what 
I don't know why, but Reformed theologians have decided to call presuppositional apologetics, <laughs> which you don't need to remember. But it's this. It's understanding other people's stories and being able to poke holes in it, show where the holes are, so that they don't need to live by a story that's defunct to begin with. Because we got a better one. To see the similarities, to recognize the differences, and to tell a better story. Again, this short version is in your bulletin or on page three, four, and five of that little booklet. Let me read what this says. The story of our faith in God is a story of God's faithfulness to us. It is a story told by God himself in the Bible. In the beginning, God spoke our world into being and created humanity to live both with him and for him according to his word. But rather than live for God under his loving reign, we rebelled and decided to live only for ourselves. And not living for him, we lost our ability to live with him. Yet despite our rebellion and because of his great love, God had a plan to bring us back to himself. Having spoken our world into being, God spoke again in the sending of his son. Jesus lived for God like we never do, then died the death we all deserve and triumphed over death as the savior of the world. And because of Jesus, we're able once again to live with God through the gift of God's spirit who empowers us to live for God as we never otherwise could. Now God continues to speak through those like us who've put their faith in God's faithful son and live out their faith in faithfulness to him. Together we're inviting this world back to the one who made it, who made it by telling and retelling his story again. And the story is both for today and for forever as we look forward to the day Jesus will return to bring it to completion. Through Jesus, this story of God's faithfulness has become the story of our faith, both as individuals and as a community of believers. In it, we found our identity. Through it, we understand our world, and by it, we seek to live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, even this week, Kath and I have been talking just about how deceptive this world is, the stories of this world, how close they are sometimes to the story we've come to know in Jesus, and yet how drastically far from it. And I ask for wisdom, even as a church, as we trek through not just the short version today, but the long version of this story, looking at each particular point of, uh, of this story of what we believe, I ask for wisdom that we would see and know that we would correct where it needs correction. But that even more so, it would be embedded upon our hearts that we might live in this world. And not just live for ourselves as if the story is only ours, but to bring this world, invite this world back to the story it was made for too. Pray you'd do it for the glory of your son and the good of your people. Amen. for joining us. 
For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible dot O-R-G.